are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning. That's a good, good morning. Hey, let me take a moment and just talk to you about some upcoming group life opportunities where you can experience spiritual growth in your life. We have several classes to talk about, and uh, just a few to mention is there's a community Bible study. You know what blessings we have here to have Jeannie McCullough, a part of our church? Community Bible study, 1 Samuel, go ahead and clap for Jeannie. Is a video of Jeannie on Wednesday nights if you can't make it to Tuesday morning. Divorce care, I want you to know there's hope after divorce, and we also have divorce care for kids. Um, as well as how to read the Bible for all it's worth, Don Dunnington. No one is more fitted to teach this than Dr. Don. Um, If you would just love to better understand how to read the Bible, how to apply its truth to your life, I would strongly suggest that you get involved in this. Marriage Matters, Building a Strong Marriage, Financial Peace University. If you don't have financial peace in your life um, and you have financial turmoil, That hurts my heart. I want you to have financial peace. And so I encourage you to take that that is available to you. Legacy Journey would be the next step after financial peace. And then Community Bible Study, Romans, Jeannie will be live on Tuesday mornings along with Nadia and Judy, and they will be teaching. We have, you know, just maybe a couple of hundred people in that in the atrium. And if you have any way of getting there on Tuesdays, I would encourage you to get there. It's well well worth your time. So if you don't um, have one, please pick up a group life brochure as you leave this morning in any of our foyers and look through and find out which of these growth opportunities might best fit you and go in a room with some other people who are like you wanting to grow in their faith and wanting to grow in certain areas of life and join one of these groups. They're all available now and I want you to take advantage of them. You know, Annette and I were uh, eating dinner a few weeks ago with a young couple. When I say young, I mean uh, they were probably in their maybe mid-twenties, just out of college. And so in that conversation, we were talking about lots of things. And finally, um, the young lady says to Annette and to me, she says, you know, in all of these issues that we're discussing, she said, I, um, I, I don't know sometimes what I believe. I feel confused. And she said, lately, I've, I've come to a place that I want to just rest in that. I've, I've just decided that maybe I don't have to know right now what it is that I do believe about many of these issues. And then she looks at me and she smiles and she said, is that okay? And so I said to her, I said, well, it's certainly not a foot race. I don't think that you can determine in your heart today that I've got to decide what I believe about everything like right now or I need to know by tomorrow or by next week. It doesn't happen like that. You have to become truly convinced in your heart of your belief system. But I said, there are a few things that I think you must determine what you believe. And and if you don't have your mind made up in some of these areas, I think you need to pursue this with lots of energy. She said, so like what? And I said, well, uh, I think you need to know what you believe about Jesus. 
Is he truly the son of the living God? Or was he only a prophet who lived 2,000 years ago? I think you need to know what you believe about Jesus. She goes, I'm, I'm good with that. What else? And I said, I think you need to come to a place of understanding as to what you believe about the Scripture. I said, in fact, the reason I think you're struggling with some of these other issues is because you haven't yet made up your mind what you believe about the Scripture. And the fact is, the Scripture speaks to many of these issues we've been discussing. So, is the Bible the living Word of God speaking to us today? Is it authoritative in your life? Or, or is it just another ancient book? I think you need to know what you believe about the Bible. So I want to talk to you, you and I should talk for a moment, about that conversation. Because, here's the deal, if you are quite a bit younger than me, you're not struggling with that conversation at all. You're just saying that, that's reality. That's, in fact, you might be saying that's where I am. But if you're, you know, a little younger than me and, and, and my age and older, you're, you may be having, you know, some consternation within your spirit right now. And I think we have some options. We can, we can say about that young couple, why don't they just get it together? And why can't they believe like I believe? To me, the truth is obvious. Or we could ask ourselves, what would it be like to be in their shoes? So what would it be like to grow up in a Christian home, being taken to church every Sunday, hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, but almost all of your classmates and your friends and your neighbors did not believe like you believed. And most everything that you pick up in a book or most everything that you see on television or a whole lot of what you see in movies has a whole other narrative when it comes to what is truth and what is right and what is wrong. And so when I talk to young people today, many of them are very honest with me, very transparent, like that young couple was. And they say to me, Pastor Rick, sometimes I don't know what to do. How do I know that the Bible is true when there are so many other voices claiming to know the truth? And I think it would be a grave mistake if you and I made the assumption that only young people are being influenced by the secular elite of our society. Many times people my age and older say, Pastor, sometimes I just don't know what to believe. I don't know what I believe anymore. And so I think not only do we put ourselves in their shoes, but I think we also come along beside them. And that's what we're trying to do in this series. I believe, but more appropriately titled, What If I Don't Know What I Believe? And I think as we come along beside one another, it's very helpful. And I think what we do is we determine that we're going to dig together. We're going to dig for the truth. We're going to dig for answers. Because there are answers to life's most challenging questions. And so, back last year, we talked about what if I don't know what I believe. And we based it around the 16 articles of faith in the Church of the Nazarene. This is the core of our beliefs. 
And so we pick up those next eight starting today, and we'll do this for these next eight weeks. So what I would like to talk to you today is we kind of just chip off piece by piece. I'd like to talk to you about this idea of justification, okay? So, so do, you believe, do you believe that it's possible that you and I can stand before God declared righteous in His eyes? So, so do you believe that you and I can actually stand before God declared righteous in His eyes? And I wonder if somebody is saying, Pastor Rick, I don't know what I believe about that, so let's talk about it a little bit. So I think we should do that. It's this idea that a person can be made right with God, can be justified, can stand before God righteous, and that happens simultaneous with this regenerated life, this being raised to a new life in Christ, this distinctive new life, and also at the same time, in that moment, becoming a child of the living God. So let's, let's talk about justification. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. So if you're kind of new to carrying a Bible, you would go way, way back to the very back of the Bible, almost to the book of Revelation, 1 John, and we'll start with chapter 1, and we'll start in uh, actually verse 5, okay? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Now here is what the Word of God says. I think before I do this, I should say to you that John is confronting a system of belief called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism would say in his day that God is detached from the material world and therefore detached from us as flesh. And, and they would conclude that therefore behavior and what you do in the flesh is not really important. And so what John does is obviously has a belief that God is not detached from the world and that what happens in the flesh is important, and that God sent His Son into the world, and that God has a standard in regard to sin and behavior. Okay? So with that in mind, he says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. So that challenges your understanding of what do you believe about God. You see, what you believe is really important. God is light, meaning God is pure, God is holy, God is righteous. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk, meaning that's a way of life, that's the way you live, walk in the darkness, then we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, you're going to love some of this language. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. It's a great verse to memorize. If we claim to be without sin, however, again, confronting this system of Gnosticism beliefs, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He, you're going to love these words, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of of the whole world. Amen. 
I agree. Before we can talk about justification, I think you have to decide what you believe about humanity and about sin. Because if you don't believe that man needs justification, forgiveness of sins, to be made righteous in the eyes of God, then why would we go any further? So I suppose the question is this. Do you believe in your heart this morning that fallenness is a characteristic of humanity? Do you believe that human beings are inclined toward evil. So you might say, Rick, if I don't believe that, what are you saying? What's the opposite? Well, the opposite would be that you believe that humanity is basically good. That people are basically good. So, Pastor Rick, just tell me, what is it that I've done that is so bad Please just tell me, what is it that I have done that is so bad that I would need to be forgiven by God for? And so while that argument and that debate continues to go on and on, whether or not we are inclined toward evil, whether that we are basically fallen in our nature because of what happens in Genesis chapter 3, that we are born in sin, that original sin is very much a reality, or whether or not that we are basically really good people, while that debate happens, I think all of us look around at the world that we live in and say, you know, something is terribly wrong. We all know that something is very broken. Pick any issue. I'll pick one. Human trafficking. The International Department of Labor says that today... There are 21 million people in human trafficking who are not free. Someone else is making money off their existence. And whether it's forced labor or whether it's sex trafficking, over 21 million people are in that world, in that dilemma. And you think to yourself, how in the world could you go to bed at night knowing that you are making money by denying another person freedom and forcing them into sex trafficking or human labor. And I mean, you could just keep adding to the list. You could think about crime all over the world. And I think that when we begin to think in these categories, we all kind of scratch our heads and say, you know, you're right, something's really broken. I mean, we all know deep in our hearts that something is not right. Something is bad wrong with the world that we live in. And so those of us who embrace Scripture would say, yeah, it's, it's sin. I would love to stand here and tell you that people are basically good, but that's not the truth. According to the Scripture and according to what we believe, we believe that people are inclined toward evil. And left to our own devices, we are very dangerous. I, I think there's another issue that we have to confront before we move forward, and that is this idea that uh, 
okay, Pastor, I, I'm with you. I, I don't believe that we're basically good. I believe that we are inclined toward evil. But it's really hard to not sin. And uh, God's really forgiving. And uh, I don't really want to not sin. And I've become a bit complacent and maybe a little lax in my attitude toward morality. And I'm not going to be fake. I know that I'm not living like probably God would want me to, but the last thing I want to do is show up in church on Sunday morning and be made feel guilty over the sin that I've committed this past week. Yeah, I'm a little complacent. But I don't really have any intention of changing the way that I'm living. Because I like some of the things that I do that would be considered sin. And I don't really want to stop doing those things. Now, here's the problem with either attitude, okay? And, and that is that God created you in His image. That's what the Bible says. God created man in His image. His stamp is on your life. And because God created you, He is your Father. And there is a yearning for Him. It is innate. It's what Augustine was talking about when he said that our hearts are restless until they find rest in Him. All right? You live with this yearning for God. You cannot smother it. You cannot put it away. You cannot get rid of it. You will always have it. It will go with you wherever you go. You, de you desire and you yearn for fellowship with God. Now, now, here's the struggle, okay? Here's what John says. I read it to you a moment ago. He says, but God is light. What he means by that is that God is pure, God is holy, God is righteous. And he says, in him there is no darkness, none at all. Zero darkness in God. Zero sin, zero evil in God. But, but here's what he says. If we claim that we have fellowship with God... If we claim that, you know, God and me, we're close, we got it going on, we, we got it all, we've got our own thing going or whatever you want to say, you know, God and I, we've got fellowship. He says if we claim that we have fellowship with Him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we don't live by the truth. What He's saying is, is that it is impossible to have fellowship with God if sin is a way of life. It's impossible to have fellowship with God if you live your life in the darkness. pastor in a church a few years ago and a young man well I mean he went off the rails really bad he was tempted he gave in to the temptation and I think he really thought he could live out there for a while he was, he was just he was just messed up he thought up was down, he thought down was up. He was trying to convince me that he knew what he was doing. And after a few weeks of trying to live out there in sin, he showed up in church on a Sunday morning. And after I preached, I walked off the platform and he was waiting in the aisle and I walked back to him. I said, it's good to see you. And he said, can we do breakfast? 
I said, sure. And so a couple days later, I met him for breakfast, and I said, what's up? And he said, I can't, I can't do it. I can't live out there. I can't live my life without God. I have to know that He's with me. I have to sense His presence. I have to find forgiveness. And, and I think that's where John is going. You're fooling yourself if you think that you can have fellowship with God and darkness be a way of life. Sin be a lifestyle. Okay, so I think it leaves us with the $64,000 question. So if I came into this world by my very nature being darkness... How in the world, if God is light, can I find fellowship with Him? And that brings us to this wonderful doctrine of justification. Okay? So let's just assume that um, all of us understand this idea of financial debt. And uh, most of us would say, you don't need to assume. I understand this idea of financial debt. Um, so there might be an exception in the room where you say, I've never had any debt. Uh, but... Um, most, most of us have had debt in our lives, and, and we, we get that. And, and let's just assume that somebody is overwhelmed with debt. So there's house loan, and there's car loans, and there's student loans, and there's personal loans, and there is debt, and the debt has overwhelmed this person. And, and that's why I would say to you this morning, I, I wanted especially to say something about financial peace. If if that is your life, I don't, I don't want that life for you. I want you to have a better life. And there are good principles in God's Word that can help you move past that to a better life. And so I would just say it again, that you should pick up a growth brochure on your way out the door, and, and you really should talk to your spouse if you're married about, uh, you know, should we go to this financial peace? And should we finally, for once in our lives, get on the other side of this whole financial struggle? And so I would encourage you to do that. But let's say the person has great financial debt and somebody sits down with them one day at a desk and takes out a checkbook. And they say to that person, we're not getting up from the table until all of your debts have been paid in full. Do you ever fantasize about doing this for somebody? I've actually had this thought before in my mind. Wouldn't it be awesome to do this for someone? We're not going to stand up until we've paid every debt. So you just start naming your debts, and I'm just going to start writing checks. And finally, you end up with a big stack of checks on the table, and you take all of those checks, and you put them in the envelopes, and you mail them all the way, and you say to the person, okay, now, all of your debts have been paid in full. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's not only something you can fantasize about. It, it's reality. This is what justification means. Here's what Jesus says. I mean, John says, okay, about Jesus. He says, if, if, okay, now, now I know there's an if there, so he's saying that, that, that this is dependent on, on a choice that you get to make. He will not force his way into anybody's life, but he says, if, okay, if we confess our sins... 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to purify us from all unrighteousness. What he's saying is that you get to stand before God with no unrighteousness. You get to stand before God righteous. So we have a, an article of faith. Let me read some of that to you, okay? This is the official stance of our church on this idea of justification. We believe that justification is the gracious and judicial act of God by which He grants full, not partial, but full. We're talking about a stack of checks, okay? We're talking about every debt that you have where He grants full pardon of all guilt. Man, I like no guilt. And complete release, complete, not partial, but complete release from the penalty of sins committed and acceptance as righteous to all who believe on Jesus and receive Him as Lord and Savior. I believe that with all of my heart. When John Wesley was preaching a sermon on justification, here's what John Wesley said. And it's on the way, just any moment. To be justified is to have all our sins completely blotted out as if they had never been. Wow. This is good stuff. Now John's day was not unlike our day. There were young couples sitting down with older people in those days having dinner talking about what they believed too. And this belief of Gnosticism became an issue and they became the opponents of John. This idea that God is completely detached from the material world and we're material flesh and it really is unimportant what you do in the flesh. And they claimed to have this fellowship with God even though they were living sinful lives. And John said, you're not in the light. In fact, you're in the darkness and you are in great need of forgiveness. I love the way that N.T. Wright sums, sums up this passage. When N.T. Wright says this, uh, sinners need to know that Jesus died for them and they can be fully forgiven. And then he says, but forgiven people need to know that this is not a reason to go on sinning. <laughs> And so what do you do when you have a Christian who has been justified, been made righteous in the eyes of God, but yet they sin? You ever met anybody who has done that? Pastor Rick, I'm a Christian. I've been justified. I've been made right in the eyes of God, but, but I sinned. I wish I could tell you that once you're justified, made right in the image of God, that you can't sin anymore, but that's not true. The truth is, until you leave this world, until what we call glorification, we're going to talk about next week, and sanctification, until you get to that point, you are capable of sin. As long as you're in the flesh, you are capable of sin. You will be tempted, and you are capable of sin. It does not mean that sin has reigned in your life. It doesn't mean that sin has dominion over you. It does not mean that you are a slave to sin. We're going to talk next week about the fact that none of that has to be. And that there is a cure for this idea of original sin. But, as long as you're in the flesh, you're capable of falling. You're capable of sin. 
And so, so John takes note of that. And he says this. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and, and that's what we want to know the answer to, right? That's what we're interested in right now. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I'm, I'm going to wrap up, and we're going to celebrate together in a moment. But I, 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 I've got to hear you. I've got to have you hear me say something that's really, 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 really important. And it's not that anything else I've said to this point has not been important. But I want you to have this understanding before you walk out this door. I've prayed this morning that it would be an epiphany for somebody. That you come to grips with how important it is that Jesus died for you. And that you become overwhelmed this morning with the truth that you can stand before God made righteous only because Jesus willingly gave His life. His body was broken. His blood was shed for you. And your whole debt of sin is wiped out. And you stand before God justified, made righteous in His eyes only because Jesus has done this for you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.